Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. The Lord be with you, Tulare Community Church, and greetings. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at TCC. This is your first time joining us, or even if this is your first time checking out church at all in any capacity, uh, please allow me to speak on behalf of our entire staff and the entire TCC community. When I say how excited and honored we are that you are here, that you have decided to join us. If you feel ready to be known, hit us up on our social media channels, call our office, stop by. Uh, We would love to get to know you if you feel ready to be known. We've been in a sermon series here at TCC for the past several months, and we've been calling it Songs for the Seasons. We've been working through the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms is essentially the prayer book for the entirety of the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament. There's 150 Psalms, and they cover a wide, wide range of topics all about who God is. We're in the home stretch of our series. It's ending on Thanksgiving Day, and so we're preaching on that exact thing, giving thanks. And today, we're going to give thanks for three things. For God's fame, for God's rule, and for his hold on us. Okay, his fame, his rule, and his hold on us. Psalm 138, 138 will be our guide. So I invite you to listen closely, uh, to listen well to uh, to the word of the Lord from Psalm 138. It says this, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. When I called, you answered me. You greatly emboldened me. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands." Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. Is God famous? Are we? Our culture, certainly infatuated uh, with fame, we ask, why in the world do so many people care about this one particular person? The response is, well, they're famous. For what, we might ask, and the response now more than ever is uh, for being famous, I guess. Social media, YouTube, they provided ample opportunities for just about anyone to become a star, right? We're told superstar athletes are immortalized after a successful career. We spend endless, endless amounts of times, uh, amounts of time debating about the GOAT, right? The greatest of all time. 
And if we peel even one layer back on this rabidity that we have for fame, we realize that when it boils down to it, the desire to be famous is really just the desire to be known. The desire to be seen, to feel like one's life matters. Uh, my wife, Claire, she played a song for me the other night. It was called Fame, and I've actually asked Pastor Shane uh, to sing it, so we're going to put up that clip, right? Oh, no, no. Uh, he won't actually be singing that. Sorry for you all who are watching, but here are the lyrics. It says this, You ain't seen the best of me yet. Give me time, I'll make you forget the rest. I can catch the moon in my hand. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. Hi. I feel it coming together. People will see me and cry. I'm going to make it to heaven. Light up the sky like a flame. Fame. I'm going to live forever. Baby, remember my name. Now, this was a huge hit that topped the charts when it was released. And now we ask a deeply, sadly ironic question, who sang it? I'm going to live forever, baby. Remember my name. Sorry, but we don't, right? Fame is fleeting. We all take, uh, when we all take a step back, we know this. We know this. And yet we still can ask this question, is God famous? Well, David, who's the author of our psalm here today, certainly seems to think so. Uh, in verse 2 of our scripture, of Psalm 138, he says, I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. For you have so exalted your solemn decree that it surpasses your fame. For David to claim that God has surpassed his own fame, there needs to have been some kind of a, a track record, right? If we've surpassed something, it means that we had something to start with, that we've already done something in the past. Now, at the time that David wrote this psalm, the Lord, the God of the Bible, he had a track record. In the ancient Near East, people had heard stories about this God, the Lord of Israel. Nations had heard that it was actually the Lord who had delivered Israel out of slavery in Egypt, that it was the Lord who parted the Red Sea, that it was the Lord who raised up great leaders, the Lord who won great battles. And after the Lord allows the Israelites to cross straight through one of the fiercest rivers in the Near East, the Jordan River, it says in Joshua 5, uh, verse 1, it says, Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. I mean, man, God's got a reputation. Not only was he famous, he was infamous, right? And yet, 
Just like Irene Cara's hit song from 1980, uh, accomplishments can fade into the background. So is God famous? Yes, he is, but not in a way that we might expect. Psalm 19, verse 1, it says this, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And the work of his hands, the manifestation of his fame is through you and me. Scripture shows us, the Bible shows us that God uses people to perform his will and to uh, enact his works for the world. You can count on less than three hands the amount of times that God works totally independently of people in the Bible, right? We have God working independently in creation, the flood, the burning bush, the plagues on the Egyptians, uh, the parting of the Red Seas, Gideon's fleece, all of these come to mind. And then we look to the New Testament, we we can see uh, Pentecost in the book of Acts, And even still, then and there, God is working in and through his followers. God works through Abraham. He works through Isaac and Noah and Moses. He works through David and Solomon. He works through Peter, Paul, John, and Timothy. And he works through you and through me. God's fame grows and it persists in the world when we work for the betterment of society in the name of Jesus. God's fame grows as we teach our children to pray in his name. His fame grows as his church, the oldest still active and growing institution, active today in the world, continues to share the good news of the gospel to the corners of the earth. And so is God famous? Well, he's certainly not famous for being famous, but his fame grows as he brings himself glory through the work of our hands as we serve him. And for that, we give thanks. And as Psalm 138 reminds us of God's fame, it also reminds us that God Rules. Our second point here today starts in verses 4 and 5. It says this, May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you have decreed. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Now, it has felt like the sky has been falling for quite a while. Fires have been raging throughout our state here in California, just recently subsiding. Unemployment remains high. Jobs have been ravaged by the coronavirus pandemic. Homelessness here in our city grows. Lives have been lost. We are living in in a remarkably polarized political climate where politicians, party members, And even just the average person think that the other side, whatever the other side might mean, is irrational, selfish, misguided, and frankly, wrong. 
The Pew Research Center, uh, they recently surveyed 13 countries with advanced economies, like the United States. And they found that opinion on how the coronavirus, for instance, has been handled falls more sharply on partisan lines in the United States than in any of the other 12 surveyed nations. And so if we have this group over here saying, well, that elected official's dead wrong, but this one is completely right. And then we have this group over here saying, well, that elected official is actually completely right. You're wrong. But this one is dead wrong. And we have two groups pulling away from another, from one another, leaving this vacuum in the middle, a chasm that just continues to widen. And we wonder, as Christians with a heart for unity, how to pull it back together. It can leave us asking, well, which official do we look to? Which leader do we trust? Who do we follow? Well, what about the king? Ever since Claire and I moved to Tulare a few months ago, I, I've been honored to be able to join a group of area pastors on a weekly basis uh, to enjoy fellowship together, to hear about what God is doing in one another's lives and ministries, and mostly to pray. This past Tuesday, election day, or uh, I guess the first of many election days, it seems, uh, our hearts were heavy. We shared that we felt distracted as we prayed for our city, for our state, our country, and our world. Pastor Russ Siders of Sunrise Church in downtown Tulare, he, he leads our time together every single week, and he began our prayer by reading a passage from the book of Isaiah. He read this, he said, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his, rec and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as, worth, as worthless and less than nothing. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded that he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers? He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. 
No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Maybe David was thinking something similar when he so confidently wrote in Psalm 138 uh, when translated in the ESV, All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. They shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Friends, God rules. The gospel states that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And he paid the ultimate price of his own life on the cross to pay the debt of sin that all of humanity has been, uh, had been accumulating since the fall in the book of Genesis. The Christian faith believes that Jesus inhabits three distinct offices, okay? Prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, prophets commune directly with God, right? They, they uh, uh, w- were given words by God, messages from God, and then they were tasked with conveying God's words to his people. They were mediators between God and humans. This would be Moses, right? Going up to Mount Sinai, returning with the Ten Commandments, having written down God's exact words. Now, priests were more like representatives of the people, pleading with God. Uh, They offered gifts of sacrifice, uh, uh, food, blood, animals to atone for the sins of the Israelites. Kings in the Old Testament functioned how we would sort of imagine, right? They ruled the people, they exercised judicial power, enforced laws. Jesus is all three. Jesus is the greatest prophet because his communion with God was more direct than any human could ever hope for because Jesus was God. When Jesus prophesies, he's talking about himself. When Jesus speaks, he's not speaking for God. He is speaking as God. The book of Hebrews also tells us that Jesus is our high prophet priest, that he is our priest, that he acted on behalf of not only Israel, but all of humanity. He's the high priest, the greatest priest, because rather than sacrificing animals or food to atone for the sins of his people, he sacrificed himself. His blood is the ultimate sacrifice because his blood and his blood alone is able to appease God's wrath because it is God's own blood that is being sacrificed. Jesus is our prophet. He is our priest. And he is also our king. In his resurrection, he defeated sin and death once and for all. And in his ascension, he established his kingdom here on earth and in heaven for all of eternity. 
The book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament tells us that Christ will return and that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he and he alone is Lord and his rule as our king will have no end and as our king righteousness and justice will reign. And because he's our king, no matter what happens in this election, in the last election, in any and every election that we will have until Jesus returns, it is him who rules. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth, and they shall sing the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. And so we give thanks that the church, the world, it has its leader and he's seated on the throne. And it is always, always, ultimately him that rules. And so we say, thanks be to God. And thanks be to God that we are held. It's our last point this morning. And as we wrap up, I want us to just take a look at how Psalm 138 ends. Verses 6 to 8 say this. Say, though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. Someone at TCC Equip uh, this past week mentioned that they find comfort in God's sovereignty. And as I meditated on Psalm 138 this week, I, I was confronted with a, a question, right? Is there a difference between God's sovereignty and God's providence, God's sovereignty and God's providence. And if that just sounds like some kind of weird Christian mumbo-jumbo, here's a short breakdown. God's sovereignty means that he's in control, that he's all-powerful, and essentially that he does as he pleases. Job says to God in uh, Job uh, chapter 42, he says, I know you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God's sovereignty reassures us that he's in control and that there is nothing that can alter that fact. God's sovereignty is good news. But what David is getting at as he wraps up Psalm 138 isn't God's sovereignty, but God's providence, right? Verses 6 to 7 say, Though the Lord is exalted, He looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. Theologian John Piper, he says it simply that providence is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. God's providence means that he is actively carrying out his purposes for you, for me, and for this world. God does not kind of wind up the earth 
set it on its axis and then step back saying, yeah, good luck with that, right? God's providence means that not only can nothing happen outside of his will, but he is also actively bringing his will to pass. And because we know who God is, we know that his will for the world is good. And so that alone is reason to give thanks. And so as I shamelessly plug TCC Equip once more, we meet every Wednesday on our campus from 6.15 to 7.30. We have been looking at a document that is almost 500 years old that tells us about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I'll give uh, the last word to that document. It's the Heidelberg Catechism. It says in question and answer number 27, What do you understand by the providence of God? Answer. The almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures, and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things in fact come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. All things come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And so we give thanks today because God is not distant. He's not absent, even as we continue to cry out for a sense of relief, for a return to normalcy from all we've been carrying these last several months. We give thanks knowing that God is active, that he's at work through each and every one of us, that he is our leader, he is our ruler, our king, and that in Christ Our very lives are held in the gracious, loving hand of the Father. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from His love for all creatures are so completely in God's hand. For that, friends, we give thanks. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.